This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We are continuing our look through the book of Titus for several weeks, actually. We have been kind of answering the question, who we are. Uh, I, like, I like questions, something about questions and even uh, questions that we may ask. Uh, and I think they're, they're good. Who are we? We live in a world where... It's just kind of hard to even explain who we are from Christian perspective. There seems to be so many different definitions and understandings. So we've been going through this study, and then here lately we've been in the book of Titus looking more specifically in the church. So today I want us to consider this. Who are we? And I want us to be able to answer that question, and I hope that you can answer that question. Every one of us need to be able to answer this question. We are people... Of grace. Now that word grace is just, a, it's a, there are a lot of words in, that deal with life and, and especially in the Bible and Christianity. It's just kind of hard to explain. You just can't really wrap your, your arms fully around it. Grace is one of those words. It's just, we say it, we know it, we understand what it is, we can Google it, we can define it, but it's a word that we just cannot get our arms wrapped around. Grace. Unmerited favor. God riches at Christ's expense. Grace, getting something that we don't deserve. Now we know that's what grace is. But do we really understand what grace is? That God would send his son to a dying dead people. And that that son would pay the penalty for a debt that we owed and could never pay. And his son would die on a cross and shed his blood as a perfect spotless lamb for our sin on the basis that whosoever would call on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith and believe what Christ has done for them and enter into a relationship with Christ can be saved. And with that, salvation is not only a a futuristic home one day, but a, a life of purpose and peace, a life with meaning, a life with a family. That is grace. And I think so often in our Christian life even, we're so busy doing things that we forget what it means to even be saved. So my prayer is today in these few verses that we truly understand who we are and what it is to be people of grace. So take your Bible. I want to encourage you to open your Bible and find Titus 2 beginning there verse 11. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the the greatness and the sweetness of your word this morning, that we can understand who we are as people of grace, that we can understand now and, and futuristically how we can live our life claiming the blood of Christ, and emphatically declaring this message 
to those that so desperately need to hear. So, Lord God, we thank you for your presence right now. And we expect and know that you will work mightily in our hearts and mind as your word of life is shared with us. And this we pray because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. Four things I want us to consider as we think about what it is to be people of grace. One is, look at verse 11. We need to understand the work of grace presently, the now. Kind of the idea that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we need to understand where we stand in our relationship with God. Today is a, the day that we need to realize, do I know Christ? Do I have an assurance of my salvation? One of the great questions that is always asked, it seems, is if you died today, do you know you would go to heaven or hell? That, it doesn't matter where you are in life. That, that, that gets you to think, doesn't it? If we were to leave this earth today suddenly, unexpectedly, and we were standing before the gates of heaven and St. Peter came out or the Lord came out or somebody came out, why should I let you into my heaven? What would we say? We need to understand the work of grace now. Notice there in verse 11, for the grace of God, number one under this, grace has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. Now, uh, in a couple of, not this Sunday night, this Sunday night is our uh, ministry business meeting. Uh, next Sunday night is, uh, we have a quarterly, we don't really have it on the calendar quarterly, just every quarterly uh, this will be our second pastor's talk. And so if you were not here at our first pastor's talk, Pastor Matt and I sit up here in chairs and, and uh, we answer questions that you have asked. Now, I like that because how many of us have questions as I'm preaching or you're in Sunday school and you wish you could ask? Please don't ask. Uh, I had a church member that used to do that. It is very, uh, it really gets me off kilter when you raise your hand in the middle of my preaching. One of the questions that has been submitted, so if you do have questions, submit. One of the questions that is submitted is the idea of how do the Old Testament and the New Testament and the nation of Israel and the gospel and where Christ fits in as we read the Old and the New. Isn't that a great question? If we're standing on Genesis and our back is to Genesis and we're looking at Revelation, from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ and the cross. And so if we're standing and we're walking through the Old Testament, we are, we are taking a, a walk through God's old covenant. We're taking a walk through Scripture, and it's pointing toward Christ. As Noah is, is uh, uh, building an ark, every nail is about Christ. As Moses is parting the water, everything is about Christ. Everything points to redemption. Everything talks about reconciliation and the old law and how it is unworthy and unable to restore the people permanently to, to God. And he talks about in Jeremiah, a new covenant. So in, in essence, everything points to Christ. Titus, right here, for the grace of God has appeared. When Jesus Christ was born... The Messiah appeared. That new covenant we drink, remember what Christ said in the upper room? A new covenant you would drink in my blood. Everything points to Christ. The whole of Scripture points toward Christ and what it is to be in Christ. Well, here's the thing. He has appeared. He has come. And everything that is needed in life and everything that we need in relationship to the Lord, everything that we need spiritually, has appeared, and it appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the, for the grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the grace of God has appeared. And notice the, the context, notice the audience. What is the audience of this grace? All people. 
Now you noticed in your bulletin on the right-hand side, I provided some information that I came across in, in my study. Somebody asked, how does a pastor study for a sermon? We do it in different ways, but I read a lot of things. I, I, I study the, the original languages, but I also read a lot of commentaries and things. And I came across this little section here, and I thought it was great. We're not going to take a lot of time with that, but it comes out of a commentary by David Platt and uh, Tony Morita and uh, Danny Aiken. And it talks about what it means that the gospel has appeared to all people. Because if grace has appeared through Christ, and presently what does grace mean to us? It says it has appeared to all people. Well, it doesn't mean that all people are just automatically saved. You can read that. I'm not going to insult you and tell it, but you need to read it. It doesn't mean that all people are just going to be saved because Christ has appeared. So everybody just goes to heaven. It all works out at the end. Everybody goes to heaven because Christ died on the cross. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to get to heaven regardless of what they believe because Christ died on the cross. It doesn't mean that because you're a good Buddhist, you're going to get to heaven because you did that in a good way, in the right way, and Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. It doesn't mean that either. What it means is that Jesus Christ has appeared for all people, bringing salvation for all people, bringing salvation to everyone that repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we call it the good news. If someone realizes that they are a sinner and they need to be saved and they are willing to repent of their sin, there's nothing that we have done that Jesus Christ and that death on the cross will not forgive us for. There's no color of our skin, no nationality, no corner of the earth where the gospel is not readily available. And for those that live there cannot repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the what? You tell me. The world. Now we know if you back up to Titus 1.1, in the beginning we said it, and this is played out perfectly. Paul, look at Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth. Who are all the people? Those that have placed their faith in Christ, the elect. The body of Christ, the church. Those that call on the name of the Lord are those that will enter into heaven and abide forever. So if we believe that and we know that, we reminded of Romans chapter 10. How will they know unless what? Somebody tells them. How will we tell them unless we go? The grace of God has appeared right now for all people. That's why we have the church. That's why we have missions. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why I tell people proper mode of evangelism is not tricks. Proper mode of evangelism is not to come in. And I've been in some settings where people say, well, we don't want to get to the gospel. It might offend somebody. That doesn't make any sense. The proper mode of evangelism is to get to the gospel. Why? So people can repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by the grace you have been saved. That's the word we're talking about. By unmerited favor, God did something you couldn't do. You've been saved. By grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Believing something, acknowledging something, embracing something, applying something, following something by faith. Faith can only come when we hear the gospel. Faith can only come when we understand, I need to be saved. I need to be born again. Faith can only come when we realize what Christ has done. When he died on the cross for the sin of people. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Mark, Ephesians 2, we're going to come back to that. So grace has appeared. We can think about that today in this context. If you're here today and you don't have that assurance of your salvation, you don't, you don't love the Lord, you don't love the things of the Lord, you're, it, it's not about being a, 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 so many times we hear it's kind of like, well, they're a good person, but they're not a very religious person. Well, they're a good person, but they're not church people. I get so tired of hearing that. Okay, let's just don't, don't ever tell me that again. 
If you ever told me that, I'll, I'm wiping my memory clear, okay? Whoop, I'm done with it. Well, now, there are good people. That, I'm tired of that. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the gospel? Do you understand that you've been saved and that you were a sinner and you've been saved? Do you also understand you're not perfect? We had three imper- four unperfect people up here a while ago, deacons. Three deacons and a pastor, and they're just all a mess, right? Now, we're a sanctified mess, but none of us are perfect. And so to be a believer and to be saved is not that we'll ever be perfect, but we have to understand that we're a sinner that's been redeemed and that we're saved. We're not perfect, but the goal is we're trying to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. It is so much more than just doing something. It drives me crazy. We do something 50 years ago in a Sunday school room. We don't even remember what it was. But because we did something many years ago, we believed something. We saw Jesus on the wall. By the way, I was at the hospital this week, and I saw a picture of Jesus and a little child holding a cat. Emily, cats are in heaven. I saw the picture at the hospital. (laughs) That made my day. When I get to my street, it's going to be the streets of all the crazy cats, just like down here. For those that were at my house this weekend, you get that. I have crazy cats in my house. I Pray for me. <laughs> Christianity is more than that. I know I believe in Jesus. Christianity is one day you realizing, yes, the picture of Jesus we've grown up seeing on Sunday school walls. We've seen that. Christianity is that Jesus died for my sin on that cross to give me eternal life and to hope and purpose and meaning. And I can live the rest of my life following that Jesus. I can belong to a family. I can worship him. I can give of my tithe. I mean, giving to me is a privilege and an honor. Giving to me is an act of worship. Sharing my faith is an honor. And all these things I do is because of what Christ has done for me. No, it's not about religion. No, I don't get into religion either. But I do get into Jesus. He has appeared. Have you met him? You know, we sing a lot about the grace of Jesus. We sing a lot today about what it is to know Christ. Do you know Christ? He has appeared. He has made himself known. That is the role of the Holy Spirit, to make Christ known. As we share the gospel, Christ is made known. Secondly, this work presently here, verse 11 and 12, look at that, it says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. How does grace work presently? Grace appeared, but notice also, grace transforms. Now just think about the theological concept. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. I, I call on the name of the Lord and I'm gloriously and remarkably saved. And the moment that I'm saved, I become a, a new creation in Christ. Now think about, uh, how many of you ever watched little, little animal videos? Think about that little giraffe trying to get up and walk. That little baby giraffe getting up with the legs or a horse and they're trying to find their way. Weird thinking, this is the way I think. That's me as a new Christian. I, I, you know, just a few moments ago, I'm, I'm loving the world and I love the things of the world and I've just been broken over that and I've understood what grace is and now I have Christ as Lord of my life and I'm trying to figure all this out. You know how long it takes me to figure it all out? I'll tell you a little secret until the day he calls me home. I believe each day is a gift that the Lord has given us, but the day he calls us home, he says, come on, you can figure this out. Death is sad, and we grieve. It's a reminder of the penalty of living this side of heaven. But it is a process as we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Don't let the world tell you that once you become a believer, just stay the same. Grace transforms. It's more than works. It's more the life. Grace transforms. 
training us to renounce, training us to stay away from these things, but to also live a certain way. Now, like so many times in our world that we live in, we need to stay away from the extremes. There's actually a a theological debate. We love, just because we're saved, doesn't mean we don't like conflict and debates. One of the debates is the lordship salvation controversy. Isn't that crazy? But here's the controversy. Does he have to be Lord for you to be a Christian? So the, the, the crazy extreme over there is, no, 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 no. All you have to do is believe. Just have some mental facts about what Christ has done. It's not about Lordship. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Now that would be like being by the seashore when Jesus comes by and says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. I believe that is Jesus. I believe he told me to do something, but I'm not going to do it. That will come later. No, Jesus says, you come and follow me. When we follow him, we're acknowledging we know who he is. All lordship is saying is, he is Lord. I want to follow him. He's not Savior now and Lord later. In some context, I've even had pastors tell me this, just get them to pray a prayer of salvation and discipleship will come later. I'm like, what kind of craziness is that? So if I just repeat some words, Jesus is Jesus, Jesus is in heaven, I don't want to go to hell when I die, I need to believe that Jesus will let me go to heaven. If I recite these words, I'm a believer all of a sudden? And then that, that following Christ comes later? That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. In essence, it's more this. Jesus is in heaven. I can go to heaven when I die. But the problem is, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. And Christ has come to save me. And I'm entering into a new relationship, a completely different U-turn. Repentance is completely turning. And now my life is completely turning, and I am following Christ. Now, some of us follow a little better. Some of us follow a little slower. Some of us have made great strides. Some of us have taken some time outs. But it's a changed life, allowing the gospel of grace to transform us. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, that's the the danger of work salvation. You know, the other extreme is that I was talking about is we we heap a lot of works on on our Christian life. So the idea is, okay, you need to get saved and he's Lord of your life. And then we go through this process of, well, he's not Lord of your life. You didn't do this. He's not Lord of your life. You didn't do that. So we go through this life of do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts, and we think we're not pleasing the Lord enough, so we've lost our salvation because I'm not doing enough. Uh, I lost my salvation. Uh, I remember a little true story about the pastor. I did live many years not following Christ, and so my life drastically turned around, and I, I surrendered to Christ in my life, and I went to work that next day and cussed within 10 minutes. Anybody ever done that? I just want last week, okay? And so I, I worked in power line construction, and I was literally, we had just set a pole, and I, I got mad, and I cussed. Ah! I'm not going to tell you what I said. And I just completely shut down, like, oh, my gosh. It took one day, and I blew it. And I just went into this, like, oh, till, till lunch. I was just devastated. Going, how in the world can I blow it so quick? You know, and don't do yourself that way. All right, I lived an entire decade following Satan, okay? It took me a little while to get rid of some words. Christ saved me, redeemed me. He forgave me. He burdened me when I said that. He convicted me when I said that. But I don't have to do something all over again. Don't apply so many of the works on your life that you think you can never please God. I'm going to tell you this. We should live a life that we're striving to please the Lord, but we need to be careful how we understand that. There's nothing I can do that's going to make God love me any more than he already does. But as I follow him and obey him, I'm going to reap the blessings and the favor of a closeness and an intimacy with God. Can a believer love the Lord? Can, a, can someone be saved and just go to church once a month? Sure they can. 
but I'd rather come more often so I can experience the grace and the joy of God's people and growing in my faith and closeness with the Lord. So the extremes is, is that just believe in Jesus. That's, that's what you hear all the time when they're, they're a believer. There are times I want to look at somebody and say, that's great. So I have said this before. Uh, they're a believer. I said, you know, that's great. So is Satan. Think about that for a second. They're a believer. But what do they believe? Because Satan believes everything. But have they yielded their life in repentance and faith unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And the great news about that, why it's so important we keep preaching that, is because when we realize and when we do that, it's like the young lady that joined our church and we were talking about church and I could tell even talking to her that it was like, you know, well, I know I'm saved, I got baptized, I, uh, but it was no... You know, you just couldn't see that excitement and joy. So she got involved in a Bible study and really began to study the Word and really began to grow in her faith. And then she came to me one day and said, Why don't these people get it? I said, Honey, that was you two weeks ago. When we understand He wants to be Lord of our life and what His Lordship means, that is transforming. Grace is transforming. If we don't have the joy of the Lord in our life and we're not excited about what God is doing in our life and we're not excited about just life in Christ, we need to let grace transform us. For we are His workmanship, Ephesians reminds us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that good works is just walking with Christ, living with Christ, loving the gospel, living out the gospel. Everything in my life wraps around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many times in our life, the world wraps around us. The world does not revolve around us. It revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything we do should be for the glory and the honor of the gospel and the greatness and goodness of God then you can enjoy the things of life. I think God gives us passions in life. I was excited the Falcons won a playoff game. You're from Atlanta, you get that. Does that mean I don't love Jesus because I was listening to the Falcons and I could have been praying out in the orange grove, seeking the favor of God upon my life? It just sounds spiritual to pray alone in a grove, doesn't it? No, I love Jesus Christ and I love the gospel and, and he put a love on my heart for stuff. And, I, and I'm not saying that we, the, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the Falcons won the game because God liked it. I didn't say any of that. But there's nothing wrong with loving life as we love the gospel through it. Loving our family, loving our kids, loving our passions, loving our hobbies. But we do so because we love the gospel and everything in our life is about the gospel. The gospel transforms as we look at Ephesians 2, I think about the word worship because it's not about works. It's, works is a biblical word. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to dodge it. We're saved by grace through faith. You show me your faith. I show you my faith by my work. So, yes, we need to be working. But I like the word worship better. If we truly worship the Lord and we acknowledge the Lord and we serve the Lord, we're going to be doing something. When you truly love your wife, you're going to be doing something. When you get it, You'll get it. You'll follow, you'll love, you'll admonish, you'll, you'll love her. When you worship and honor the Lord, your life is going to be living a life of fellowship unto the Lord. We are saved to live. We are saved to follow. We are saved to serve. Notice that word they're used in Scripture, training us. And what does that word training just automatically radiate in your mind? Doing something. If you notice the life of, think about this. Think about the life of every missionary, every missionary that we bring to our church, anybody that's ever served on the mission field, anybody that considers themselves a missionary, they are doing something most people would not want to do. They give up something. They move somewhere. They're, they're in harm's way. They're doing something. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why do we read these famous preachers and famous families and famous missionaries? Why do we have an offering named after Lottie Moon that gave her life in China and died in the port of China, starved to death because she gave all her money to the Chinese? Why do we talk about these people? Because they realize that grace is training them. They're being called to do something that in and of themselves they would never do on their own. 
Look back at Titus, training us. The great thing about how grace transformed in this training, here's where it gets real important that we need to understand. God does it. By grace through faith, not of works, that any man should boast, but it is a gift of God. This transformation of the grace that we experience as we follow the Lordship of Christ, God does it. We join God in what He is doing. He will do it because He has saved us. It is our heart. It is our mind. Our mind is where we process information. Our heart is our soul. And as we study the Word and hear the Word and sing the Word and believe the Word, as we do these things with our mind, it begins to affect our heart, and our heart begins to change, and the grace begins to transform us. Some of us need to pray more. Some of us need to worship more. Some of us need to admonish and adore the presence of Christ in our life more because it transforms us. It is progressive. It is ongoing. And it, it is continual work of grace. We never grow up. We never truly grasp the greatness of grace. It is ongoing. It is perpetual. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that encouraging? That we're involved with something as a believer that should never grow old and we should never grow weary of seeking after. Grace transforms. Secondly, the work of grace futuristically. Notice what it says there in verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. Hope is another word that's hard to explain. Hope is futuristic. In our day and age, I'm trying to think who plays ball tonight, what's going on in the world tonight, you know. We hope this team wins. We hope it rains. We hope this takes place. We don't know. We just hope. You know what biblical hope is? There's something going to take place in the future, and I know it's going to happen. When someone passes, we say their hope was in. Their hope was in something in the future, and it happened. Christians don't say, well, I hope my life will be okay. Christians don't say, I hope all this works out. No, Christians say, my hope is in the things of the future. If you think about this side of heaven, think about the best day you could ever have in your life. Think about whatever really gets you going, whatever gets you excited, whatever is there that you just really think about a great day. That is a taste just a small morsel of heaven. Look at the wording there. Grace is also futuristic. We're waiting on a, a blessed hope, the appearing. Now, notice the words here. Please underline this. The appearing of the glory. Now, verse 11, it talked about the grace of God. Now, here in verse 13, we're talking about the glory of God. The glory is God manifesting himself. Glory is the presence of something. Glory is the worth of something. When, when Christ returns, we're going to see the glory of God and Jesus Christ, our Savior. The true glory of who Christ is, we're going to see. We're not going to have to look at a picture on a wall anymore. We're not going to have to sit there and think about it. We're going to see the glory of Christ when he appears. That's going to be a great thing, by the way. So that's what our hope is in. It's not that we're living this life going, if I can just get through. It's like on our, on our phones, if you have a little smartphone, they have little apps, countdown apps. Some of us may be in a job now, retirement day, countdown. If I can just get there, if I can just get to this day, it'll be okay. Don't look at it that way. Every day is a gift from the Lord. As a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, every day is a gift and an opportunity for us to enjoy the goodness of God and to worship Him. And we can be excited about what is going on in our life because He has a plan. And there's going to be a blessed hope one day that we will truly see the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of that, that excitement and you know you're fixing to go do something. It's the excitement of a day, an event. Our excitement rests in the glory of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So grace is futuristic. That's where we find our joy and purpose and understanding in life. This is all passing. This is nothing. Yes, it hurts. Yes, there are things. Yes, there's heartache. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there are temptations. But our hope is not in these things. Our hope is in those things. 
So we're waiting. And we're waiting for that appearing. Third, I don't really know this is a word, but I made one up. The work of grace is positional. So we, we, we have the work of grace now. We have the work of grace in the future. But the position that we have in Christ is kind of the idea of what grace has accomplished. It kind of makes our present and our future even possible. Notice verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession which are zealous for good works. We probably need to read that about four or five times. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from how much lawlessness? All lawlessness. And to do what with us? To purify for what? Himself. When we are saved, he purifies us to himself. A people for his own possession. Who do we belong to? If you're a believer today, if you've been saved, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his. You are a blood-bought and redeemed child of God. You are his child. We are his own possession. Who are zealous, little zealots, for good works because he redeemed us and purified us and possessed us. If you look at that verse and you look at these verses, there are three things going on here in, in regards to our salvation. Listen to these. Our past is dealt with. We are delivered from sin's penalty, justification. Anybody ever been to the courtroom? If you have, you know how to, you always get nervous when somebody says your full name. I, I got in trouble as a young man and my dad said, you got in trouble alone, you go to court alone. Scared to death. Sitting there, a little high school kid in trouble. William Jonathan Beck, case number, blah, 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 blah. I wasn't really walking close with the Lord at that time, but I promise you I was praying heartily for the rapture at that second. And I remember walking out there and standing in front of that judge, scared to death. And he read what I did wrong. I'm not going to tell you. You can Google it probably. Told me what I needed to do, restoration and all that. And he bang, bang, bang. It was over. Whew. Done. What happened? Well, it's done. Can you change it? Nope. Why? He said it. The judge said it. Justification is a legal term. You repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. You acknowledge the shed blood of the lamb and the broken body on that cross and you realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. When you call on the name of the Lord, it is done. No more. One of the great baptistic doctrines of the faith is the perseverance of the saints. Now, can you even imagine legally the judge calling me back going, hey, change my mind. So God's going to say, I've saved you. You're no longer, uh, uh, you've been born again. You're already dead and a sinner. But you've done something now and I've changed my mind. That's not grace. That's why we preach sin and we preach that we need to be saved. Our past sin is dealt with it. So let me tell you this. Quit nailing Jesus back on the cross. Quit worrying about what you've done. If you've got something you need to repent of, we're going to have a song in just a moment. You, don't need, you can come down here to the altar if you want, but you need to deal with it right where you are because that sin needs to be repented of. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, and you know who you are. If you're here, you know who you are because the Spirit's been wearing you out. You need to get saved. But if you've been saved, you need to quit letting the devil remind you of that sin. It has been paid in full. Not guilt. That's why Christ died. Justification. 
So we've been delivered from sin's penalty. But the present is dealt with here. We're delivered from sin's power. Notice what it says. Who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness to purify us. That Satan has no demonic control over me. Flip Wilson used to always say the devil made me do it. He didn't make it. You know, some of the younger people don't go home and Google Flip Wilson. The devil is an easy one to blame everything on. The devil cannot make me do anything. He wants me to do it. He'll nudge me to do it. He'll put me in a, he'll make me feel comfortable where I can do it. But Satan has no power over me. The power of sin has been dealt with. There's not an issue that I struggle with. There's not an issue that you struggle with. There's not anything going on in your life, an addiction, a hang-up, anything that we're going through that the Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross cannot help us overcome. Now, yes, there's baggage that we have. I, I, uh, I have scars. Here's a great example. I have scars on my body, and they are a reminder of things that I have done. I, I got one right here on my finger. Every, every time I think, I'm a product of RAs. I am like Waylon. I took a pocket knife to RAs one day. And we were making plaques where we took something and we burned the edges and we were going to glue it. And I remember seeing my RA teacher over there with a pair of scissors trying to get the glue thing. And I thought, I got my pocket knife. And while nobody's looking, I'm going to cut the top of the glue off. In doing so, I took off the top of my knuckle. The RA teacher's going, why do we keep letting him come in here every year? (laughs) See what they did by letting me come in there every year? Well, I got a little scar right there, and every time I look down, I think, RA workers and pocket knives right there. It is healed. It doesn't even hurt, but it's a reminder. So, yes, that's why we need to live a life. Uh, I tell our young people, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do crazy stuff. You may be forgiven, but there's going to be reminders for the rest of your life. But the power of sin is no more. We can live our life in such a way that we are free from the power. Isn't that encouraging? Why is that not more encouraging to us? The penalty of sin is gone. Presently, sanctification, the power of sin is gone. Futuristically, we're delivered from the presence of sin glorification can we even uh, fathom what that's going to be like I can't no sin nothing now you think about that the the, the presence of sin will be no more that's what makes heaven so glorious we try to talk about heaven and you know we cut up about well I wonder if cats will be in heaven I don't care I don't care I don't care doesn't matter. I know the favorite colors of heaven are red and black, but it doesn't matter. Okay? Those things that drive us crazy down here, that doesn't matter. There's no sin. Just the Lord. And anything that we're doing is going to involve worshiping the Lord. Doesn't mean we're just going to be sitting in the pew worshiping the Lord every day. Everything up there is going to be perfect. No sin. Listen to these four things. Jesus redeems, Jesus purifies, Jesus possesses. And notice what he says. A people for his own possession, we are possessed by him, which are zealous for good works. He does redeem, he does purify, he does possess, and he does sin. And then verse 15. As we live in the present, if we look for the future, as we understand what we've received positionally, I thought this would be a great way to close this message. The work of grace emphatically. We need to be people of grace emphatically. Now, in case you've lived in a a hole the last several years, we live in a day and age where there needs to be some grace shared, don't we? I mean, just... My goodness, I thought it would settle down a little bit after the election. I don't think it's going to settle down for a while. And we get all frustrated and aggravated and worried. Listen, that's why we have grace. That we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know what the issue is. It's all about grace. Declare these things. 
What are these things? Well, turn around and back up and look at everything that was written from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2. Church, go be the church. Christian, go be a Christian. Go live out the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Go declare these things. Tell them with your lips. Tell them with your life. Let people see that you understand what grace is and what the church is and what a Christian is. That's the answer. Let people hear, believe, and see the gospel in you. You have to tell it, but you have to live it. You can live it, but you have to tell it. But if you tell it, you got to live it. Declare these things. How do we do it? Look at that first word, exhort. Exhort is to teach. Here's a good word for exhort. It's when a couple of weeks ago we looked at older men, younger men. Here's exhort. Exhort is when you come up alongside someone and say, let me show you how to do that. It's teaching. What if we were to go out there and declare these things and we exhort and we, we, we come alongside people and we say, let me show you what Christ has done in my life. Let me show you why my life is different. Let me explain to you how your life can be different. I want to teach you how your life can be different. And everywhere we are, we're declaring the message of grace and we're showing grace, we're telling grace, we're living grace, and we're telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're exhorting people to believe what we believe because we know what we believe is right. One of the things about it is people don't believe what we believe is right. Think about college football fans. We, we, we could say out loud, we could say out loud, now that's a Florida State fan. Now, that's a Gator fan. We even got some Buckeyes around here. And we say that because we know that person really is. We know they know. Some of us say they are, but we know they are. You know what I'm saying? I wonder how many people would say about us, now, they're a Christian. I had a person tell me this one time. I don't really believe everything that you believe, but I know you believe it, and I like you for believing it. I thought that was pretty good. They didn't believe everything I believed. But they believed that I believed it, and they liked me for believing it. They said, I can trust you because you believe something. I can trust you because you share it well. I trust you because you're not dogmental about it and judgmental. You just believe what you believe, and your belief is based on truth. What if we all lived that way? What if I lived that way more consistently? What if people just looked at us and said, you know, they believe what they believe, and they want me to believe it, and they want me to believe it because they believe, believe it's right. I think sometimes I'm like, well, have you tried church? <laughs> We try to make it every now and then ourselves. Have you tried reading the Bible? Where should I start? I don't know. I mean, we don't really know. We don't have any. We really don't know. Well, no. Tell people what it is that you believe and why you believe it and how their life can be different. I heard a testimony of a man that got led to the Lord one time by somebody, and I said, and somebody said, well, what, what was it about the man's presentation that you began to really be convicted about your salvation? He said, the man started crying. The man was crying because he did not want him to not have Christ in his life. I thought, well, that's pretty strong testimony of really concerned about somebody when you start weeping over their life. When's the last time we've weeped or even was so burdened? Then it says rebuke. Now, anytime I say something negative, it's come to everybody, oh, he's getting negative. Jesus was negative, but they nailed him on a cross for it. Remember, they slapped Christ because he wouldn't agree with them. Being able to tell somebody they are wrong is not a bad thing. We have to be able to be a voice in the society and say, that's wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? Because the Bible says it is. Now, this is not a, a weapon of mass destruction. That's what's giving truth a bad name. We're mad and we're angry and we beat people over the head with the Bible. Ah, that's my noise for anger. Instead of, this is the right. This is wrong. We need to be willing to understand what truth is so when we see untruth, we know it's untruth. We're not arguing. We're not fighting. We're not fruit inspecting. I tell people, quit worrying about everybody else. You'd spend all day worrying about yourself. You'd be a better person. But it's just living in our world and being able to recognize, okay, this is not going to be a good thing. God will not bless this. 
There's two things going to happen with every choice we make in life, blessing or judgment. That's it. There's no gray area with God. You either obey me or you disobey me. You either get a blessing with a wise choice or punishment for an unwise choice. But sometimes we keep making bad choices and nothing happens. But guess what? It takes us somewhere we're not willing to go, isn't it? Sin does that. We end up paying a price more than we thought we'd ever pay. And we stay longer than we'd ever thought we would stay. Be loving people that have an answer for the hope that is in them. I made these notes for myself. They may apply to you, but I made them for myself. With courage, with conviction, with confidence. It takes courage to believe in absolute truth today. Do you know what an absolute truth is? Absolute truth is you know you, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. If you are not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in a place called what? That's an absolute truth. Well, what about a Muslim and a Hindu and a Zudu and a Budu? They're nice people. My neighbors are nice. Well, they may be nice. But an absolute truth is saying this is absolutely true. Do you know when water freezes? 32 degrees, doesn't it? What if I tell you it's not 32 degrees? You could say, well, I don't care how, you know, it's just not true. Christianity is an absolute truth. We have to be people of courage if we're going to live in a world that doesn't want to embrace that. But remember, our hope's not in this world. Where's our hope? There. So I've got courage. I've got conviction. I've got confidence. As I grow in my grace and my understanding and the things of the Lord, I'm going to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a lamb. I'm not looking for a fight, but I have confidence that if I get in a tough spot, that Christ said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That I can emphatically declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. For the grace that we can have today, for the grace that we can have tomorrow, and for the grace that will change our life. Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that grace that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your grace is greater than our sin that it is marvelous grace. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here that has never repented of their sin and that they need to make a decision that right where they're sitting, right this very second, Lord, they'll open up their heart in repentance and faith and have the assurance that they are a child of God. And I pray, Lord, for our church family, the body of Christ, that we understand what grace is all about that we love Christ, that we live for Christ, that we're growing in Christ, that we're declaring Christ to a world that needs to hear it. Lord, as we sing about great grace, let us understand it, embrace it, not just sing it. Let us believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.